0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code Wondery at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Welcome to Living Your Life with Leanne Lang. Through COVID, recording out of my daughter Andy's bedroom and with the technical skills of John Milky from Blast Podcast. Since we typically tape these segments now via Skype or Zoom, my guests are actually able to see me and vice versa, which means they get to actually see my daughter's bedroom, a room which I have dreamt, I would have dreamt of having when I was a young girl. With the endless twinkle lights and the amazing decor and pictures of friends sprawled everywhere, it's, it's truly Instagram worthy. And that in itself is an issue. Why would it matter? Why should anyone care? Welcome to Raising Children in a New Social Media World. Add in our current world pandemic and parenting has new layers being added every day. Young adults are being forced to make decisions they hadn't yet expected. And we as parents and educators are all trying just not to screw up. At least I know I am. Right now we are having difficult conversations, cancellations of plans and opportunities, online schooling, endless screen time, limited social interaction, and worse, sexting, the challenges of healthy eating, daily movement, and the list goes on. And for any of you past these growing pains, you may recognize how maybe had they been handled a little differently or discussed differently when you were a kid, you might actually have maybe ended up a little different. Joining us today is Lindsay Seely, an educator, consultant, mentor, and facilitator. She is the author of Growing Strong Girls and rooted, resilient, and ready. And she's also the CEO and founder of Bold New Girls and Brave New Boys, a unique teaching and coaching company emerging academic and social, as well as emotional support and emphasizing empowerment. She considers herself a difference maker, a social activist with who's intentional about promoting local and global social change. So Lindsay joining us today from Vancouver. Great to finally see you, Lindsay. I can't believe we're finally getting this done. I know. Thank you for having me. Well, you, were, you were supposed to actually be here right after March break. We had it like mid-March, like right after March break, you were actually supposed to be in Ottawa. Uh, we were going to do the podcast. You had a speaking event that you were going to do. It's amazing how quickly life pivots.
0: What's really funny, not funny, is that March 17th was my official launch date for Rooted, Resilient, and Ready. And that's the exact day that the world went into lockdown. And I thought that was kind of funny, not funny.
1: But yes, lucky me. <laughs> yeah, lucky you. And unfortunately, lucky. you know, it, it was the messaging like, to have a book launch and to have things come out. It's an exciting time. And especially mm-hmm. with the subject matter being so fundamental to parents and to kids and to teachers, like it was like, oh, gosh. Yeah, and in a way, maybe now more than ever, we need a book that's
0: teaching our kids and parents to be rooted, to be resilient resilient and to be ready. So now I'm seeing it in a much more positive light. And this is the way another way that I'm making a
1: difference. So let's go through it. What is sure. what was your background, you know, and why young women, why was that the focus, I think, especially when you started out to have such an impact during these years? To be able to create a different, unique individual that could come out of it, hopefully less scathed than those coming in.
0: Right. So my background was always in education. And right after I graduated with my master's, I went into a private teaching company and I always worked with both girls and boys. But where I think my my heart was being called to, to focus a little bit more on the girls was from the conversations that I was having with them. So there was so much doubt and uncertainty and, you know, these confident little girls that become really shy, preteen and teen girls that have no idea how awesome they are. There was um, a complete uh, decline in their confidence and their ability to see their skills. And I thought, wow, this is this is something that's needed. It's absolutely necessary. And I knew I could help. I knew that I could have very intentional conversations with them about feeling good and about seeing their skills and talents and about growing themselves. And that was that was huge for me. And I think daily I get to see these changes. And that just keeps motivating me to keep going. It's working.
1: Well, the thing is, and I find it interesting because I know a lot of my listeners and to be able to feel like when we were younger, and you know, we didn't have a care, and we were strong and carefree and running around, mm-hmm. uh, and and not having this these kind of not the status, but things thrown at us. It's it's like you see a big change from the girls in the playground to being more sensitive. And I even know with my kids, you know, less confident when you think that the confidence was supposed to be shining because they had this upbringing that made them feel so confident. And yet it goes way past even the childhood years into the teen years into the young women or young men. Like it, what happens now really does affect how we are going to enter enter into adulthood. Hundred percent, and I, and I think the question is always, what does happen? <laughs> Why
0: are these girls, you know, at eight or nine, suddenly holding back, taking less risks? I think a lot in large part just where they are in maturity. They're starting to notice other people. So there's the comparison game, and now we have this added illumination. I think that's happening on social media. So it's like everything they see is making them think about things more and more quickly, and also doubt themselves
1: more. When Let's hit on that, because it's something I introduced right off the top, social media. When I think you started into the education program, it wasn't as rampant as it is now. Oh yeah. Sorry. I should date myself here. There was no social media. (laughs) Okay. Uh, You know, like for a lot of us, right? We are all, even as parents dealing with our own social media and then our children's social media. So how much of the landscape shifted when this became part of their everyday life? I think
0: similar to COVID,
1: it's upside down. It shifted radically. So
0: not only is it time consuming. So now we're, spe- we're all spending so much time on our social media. Um, it's very, in lots of ways, it's very toxic. We know that images are photoshopped and polished and changed, and we know that everyone's putting forth their very best foot but it's still gonna affect us when we see these images and we're looking at what other people are doing and feeling that FOMO experience. We're missing out, we're not good enough. I think we can say, oh, it won't bother me, but it is. And of course, a little girl doesn't know better and it's just fun and entertaining and they're on TikTok and they're playing around, but it's impacting
1: them. It's impacting how they see themselves. You know, when we were younger, it was Cosmo magazine or Seventeen magazine, and that was pretty much all we had to go on. And it wasn't always just about the looks. There were stories and there were quizzes. There was all this other stuff that we could see ourselves in rather than it just be so image based. And I think that's there's no stories now behind what they're seeing.
0: Yeah, or the story's fabricated, because again, it's the best foot forward. And I I just think too, that the big shift is volume. So I had Cosmo and I picked it up when I felt like looking in my magazine. Oh, sorry, for me, it was Seventeen Magazine. And I wanted either an idea or an inspiration, or yeah, I just wanted to look at images and and see what other girls look like. But now it's like in their face all the time. You know, you turn your phone over and there's, there's so much to do. There's so many different sites to scroll through. It's um, it's more rampant, I think, in it's in their face and you have to be part of it. If you're not part of it, you're a social outcast. So it's like they have to do it. But I think, again, it's it's incredibly toxic. But so there's so many images like I'd say 3000 plus images a day is what a young girl
1: is seeing. Three thousand. Three thousand plus. Like, I think that's the, the low number. And you know, and and a lot of people know my daughters are 12 and 15. And so not only is it, it started with Instagram, but then it went, it was musically and then it went into the TikToks and went into Pinterest. But what they're also seeing are young people like themselves becoming incredibly famous. Yes. Doing right. And it's like, they're always questioning how did that person with yeah. their TikToks become famous? Like, how did they do it? And then there's always like, I find that there are comparisons to everything and it's like, it's not realistic. You know, it's somebody just, they got lucky. You know, how do you explain that to them? Some part of it is just, they got lucky.
0: Yeah, and that is a, a valid goal, I think to to make it and to rise like they see, but it's also not, like you said, it's not always realistic. Because what they don't see again is the hard work that might have gone into it or that really unique idea like the one hit wonder experience or we don't know anything about these people but they look like they're making it overnight and that is not necessarily the reality. But I do hear a lot of girls say I just want to be famous. Oh, I don't have to go to school. I don't have to look for a job because I'm going to make my job. I'm going to make it on YouTube. Well, maybe, but I always discuss the option B because I don't know if that's if that's likely, right? So, yeah, it's interesting what they see, and again, what they they either want to go for it too, or you get the opposite where oh, she made it. I would never be that good. I won't be able to make it, and that's more the perfectionist style of, you know, if I can't make it a hundred percent or do perfect at it and succeed, I won't
1: even try. So we're discussing right now some of the issues that we see, but where you're coming from is how to be able to, how to deal with it, how to come at it from a different angle, how to see it in a different light. So what's usually your conversation or the, the education behind it when you're trying to shift their thinking?
0: Yeah, so I, I tend to lean into what's happening for them. So you always want to meet them where they're at and really align with them. So I hear, I hear what they're saying. I think it's, you know, it's fun and exciting to talk about being a YouTube sensation or, or to make it, um, or even to create their own business. Like, that's fine to have that conversation, to listen to their point of view. And it's always, it's not an either this or this conversation, it's a what else? Like, let's talk about other options. So in the book, I talk about being a dream booster, not buster. And so if you're a dream booster, you're just going with it. What harm is it to have a conversation about the fact she could become famous? She might become famous. Like, enjoy that. She'll get excited. And, you know, over time, that goal might might, um, might shift for her. She might realize on her own it's too much work, it's too hard, it's too unrealistic, but who are we to come in and disrupt that process? So I go with it, and at the same time, I ask the what else? Well, what else could you be? Because many of us are multi-entrepreneurial. We don't just do one thing. I'm multi-passionate, and I like that, you know, not all my passions pay, but I like that I'm many. There are no limits, no limitations. But I think it's about following the conversation. See how far it can go. You just never know. Who are we to say
1: it won't happen? You just mentioned there, there are no limits. There are lo- no limitations. And yet mm-hmm. right now, I feel like every person is yelling, we are all dealing with these limitations and a shift <laughs> change. So what has been the biggest thing that you've heard from, from educators, from parents, as to what we are coping with right now with our kids, with the situation? Uh, we're dealing with education. You've got ki- people that are doing homeschooling. You have online learning. I mean, what has been the biggest influx of kind of people pulling their hair out through COVID? Oh, so interesting.
0: Well, I think parents are probably pulling their hair out at providing learning support. They've literally all been forced to be teachers or in some cases, principals. Um, And I think that's tough, especially if that's not, not your interest, if that's not where you feel your strengths are, you just don't want to, right? You have other things to do. I think that's been really hard from the girls themselves. You know, there's sort of this great divide. I think half of them love the new schooling. They love it. Like, it surprised me that they're thinking, actually, I might stay with this. I have more time. I'm more in control. I can be more efficient with my day. Way less stress. Maybe it's about I don't have to get up so early to put on my makeup and pick my outfit and worry about what I look like. A lot of them are saying it's, it's actually better. But the other half, I think, are missing the social part. And just really, they're bored. They, like we said, there are limits. You can't just go do what you want. Um, I think frustrated, it's really hard right now to make plans. Although I'm encouraging them to do it anyways. But I think that it's just, now they're getting kind of at that stuck place. What now? Is this it? And how much longer? And I, no one can answer that. So it's a lot of uncertainty, too.
1: Because you've dealt with so much with girls, but I know that with Brave New Boys, um, you're coming out with the, with all of this material and education for, for guys as well. Is there a difference between how the girls can motivate themselves and get schoolwork or anything done and you're seeing a change in how the boys are reacting to the situation? I don't know. I've, I've heard so from friends who have boys, it's like they're on their screens, but it's not so much FaceTiming and, and texting. It's, it's gaming. It's Fortnite. It's, it's all these different things and their motivation is different than the girls. Do we see that? Is there, is there a difference between the two typically and now? That's a good question.
0: Um, I don't feel that there is much difference, not that I'm noticing now. Again, I think a lot of the boys like it probably because now there's unlimited screen time, they're on their they're gaming. And what's interesting, I think, is maybe just more the difference is the social factor. So girls are missing the in-person connection. They want to feel people, they want to see people, they want to like just have real connections. And yes, they like their phones and virtual connections too. But the boys don't seem to be having that same problem because for them, they're virtually connecting and gaming with each other, right? So for them, they feel that that's enough. So I'll say, don't you want to go out with your friends? You can go and see a few people now. No, I'm good. We just game, like we just played whatever Fortnite or whatever they're into at the moment. So I don't think, and this makes sense to me because developmentally, girls are are much more... um, much more motivated, I think, by the social factor. And, and guys are just, they seem pretty chill, to be honest. Actually, all, all the kids do, even though it's a global pandemic. I get it. Like, big picture, it could be causing a lot of stress, but they all seem pretty calm. I think we've removed a lot of the daily stressors.
1: Well, th- we've removed the go, go, go. We've removed yes. the get up, go to school, get home from school, get to activities, come home from activities, have a meal or take a shower, right. got to do homework. I, I want to just touch on a couple of things that you brought in there because A, sure. I want to touch on um, a little bit of, of how it's going to affect those that have actually younger kids as well. But one of the things that I felt, especially when we're talking the social aspect, is I feel like some kids who hadn't intentionally meant to cocoon themselves are finding that it's, the fear or the change and the shift, they're now almost becoming introverts where they hadn't been before that going back out and becoming social again, or reaching out on their phone or FaceTiming rather than texting my, what I've, what I've been observing is almost they've gone inwards and that's like a good point, something very different that I think a lot of us hadn't anticipated it happening with our friends. They're, they're hiding a bit. Because it's safer or they don't need to go put themselves out there.
0: Yeah, what's interesting is I have discovered many, many more introverts than I first realized. So I think they were... faking extroversion, and now they're telling me things like, I really love this alone time. I really love being in my room all day. My mom is complaining. I'm in my room too much. I'm not, I'm not even socializing with the family. So it's an interesting, I don't know, slippery slope almost. Like, is it great that they're realizing that about themselves and they're just embracing like, oh, I like quiet time. I think I'm more shy than I realized socializing was causing me too much stress. Or is this, has this just become the new normal? And like you said, now it's comfortable. There's no push. There's no encouragement. I think like anything, like all of us are dealing with this re-entry. It's just going to take some time. But at the end of the day, I always, ask, I always ask kids, like, what feels better? Because for me, I'm an introvert. I love alone time. But I also feel pretty good when I'm with people. And so I think it's just going to take that okay like let's let's take a little step and let's start to go out with one person or let's try to join this activity or let's consider what's gonna what's the fall gonna look like we start having those conversations i don't i don't anticipate a problem with changing back to or let's say moving forward into into being more social but i think right now it just it seems like it might be a problem
1: I, that's, for me as a parent, is, is the, the reintegration, which will be slow. But we're now mm-hmm. you know, three months into how we're coping. And mm-hmm. movement, I, I know when reading and going through lots of chapters, you talk a lot about healthy, even, uh, healthy eating, uh, the emphasis on understanding what how you're nourishing yourself, a lot of it on movement and being active. And there, too, comes, A, we've been COVID eating. There's a lot of snacking. There's a lot of meals after mealtime. There's a lot of not feeling like going outside. So how is how do you see us being able to deal with that with a younger child, a preteen and the teens moving forward? If I I can break it down.
0: (laughs) Sure. It's almost like all the rules went out the door, especially (laughs) with food and screen time and bedtime. And now I think we all have to say, okay, let's bring back the rules because we know that they are for good reason, they're, they're to help us uh, stay healthy and feel really good. And I think that it doesn't matter the age, I think we have to slowly re, reintroduce some of those rules. And maybe it really begins, Leanne, with modeling. Like I know we've all let a lot go, like I'm a pretty routine person, but that, you know, that just got upended for, for many months. But it's like maybe being that example, like waking up at a reasonable hour having um, a to-do list to set up the day to feel um, like we're accomplishing, to do some meal planning, and even if we're just finding balance, like healthy, and not so healthy foods, and, and hydration and keeping our stress low, like, I think all of those have to slowly come back into our in our, to our daily routines, making sure
1: we're getting outside, making sure we're staying fit, make sure making okay. sure we're playing. Can I be completely honest with you? Yeah. I feel like we were like that in the first couple months. We were. We set a schedule. We had the kids out of bed at 10. We had daily activity. We had planned recess. We were eating healthy. And so I I almost want to say I feel the opposite in that we were doing oh, okay. that. And the longer yeah. it's gone on the more that they're now going, what difference is it going to make, right? So while they used to get out and had to be at the dining room table at 10, now it's like ten fifteen, and I still can't even get them out of the door, out of the bed, and then it's like 11. <laughs> I find everything is almost going backwards. Like all of those things that we had installed are now kind of going, like it's like everyone's thrown in the towel. What if we've we lost tested, the motivation? Though?
0: I get it. Um, What if we, what if we started to flip it and the conversations became not us telling them to get up at whatever time, but to have them be more part of the the collaborative process and make more choice? Like, I think it's okay that we're not waking up at seven if there's no school at eight o'clock. I get that. But I think, I mean, for me, 10 just sounds late because I'm such an early riser. Oh, my God. But no, I, we
1: got we got teenager like this. It's like 11. And if we didn't yeah. come in and wake them up and they'd stay in their rooms all day. Right. It's, and we're true. finally getting summer temperatures around here. Right. It's summer now.
0: And maybe some things do have to let go, be like, go. Oh, like they're staying up later. They're watching you know, Netflix. And maybe that that one's not worth the argument. But I think just always bringing kids into the conversation and having it be about the choice and empowerment piece. And at the end of the day, again, what feels better? Like, I know if I don't eat so healthy, I don't feel so good and it throws my sleep and my mood is off. And so just explaining some of the consequences I think is also helpful in the conversation, but just a little bit like a refresh button, like let's like reevaluate this. It's not gonna be strict like it is, you know, during like the regular school year, but it's not gonna be the COVID way anymore. I think there has to be some negotiation happening.
1: So where do you see that? I know that self-expression is one of the things that you talk about in the book. Mm -hmm, So where, mm -hmm. where do you see the self-expression being able to be implemented? And at what ages are you, are you listening to them and what they want and how they want to express themselves?
0: At any age, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of having open conversation, but I tend to come at it from a place of curiosity not criticism like just asking questions like I am so fascinated by kids brains and what is their thinking process how are they thinking are they able to see big picture are they able are they just looking at you know what's in front of them in the day but I just ask a lot of questions what are they thinking about what are they wanting how's this feeling and I'm not saying that we as adults don't have you know this the Fine, not final say, but also we are big contributors because we have more life experience. We see bigger picture. But I think that I'm I'm always of the mind that we need to include kids in the conversation, and and they need to listen to to what we have to say too, and that's how they learn. But it's really um, ongoing and consistent conversation, and it's all about being curious,
1: really wondering. Because you say that you spend so much time trying to figure out a child's brain, Mm -hmm. are there things that you have learned or want to share or things that are in the book that you think are important for us as parents and educators to really just have a baseline knowledge that might might surprise us as to how we think they think or learn or react? Yeah,
0: I think we have to understand that the, the prefrontal cortex, which is the ability for the brain to make decisions and organize and manage time, It's really just coming, and I think it it develops well into our 20s. So when they make, quote-unquote, stupid decisions, or they act irrationally, or they're impulsive, or, you know, they make a mistake again because they didn't see the consequence, didn't consider the consequence, I think we have to be super patient because that's not them trying to make another mistake or defy us. It's just the natural maturation process and so we have to you know yes the lessons have to be learned but I think we have to practice a lot of patience and understanding that. Um, Something very interesting that's happened in the last uh, couple months I guess that I didn't really realize is that (laughs) a lot of I want to say teens that I'm that I'm working with are staying up so late. They're binge watching Netflix. And then, like you said, they're sleeping in, right? But I was thinking, why? Like, Netflix to me isn't interesting for five hours at a time, you know, at one o'clock in the morning. And I naturally fall asleep quite early, but I was figuring out why, like, what are they thinking that that would be okay? And that would be, you know, what are, like, what's happening here? I didn't understand this phenomenon because it was all of them. And I realized they are staying up late because that's when everyone else in the house is sleeping and that is their coveted quiet time because a lot of times they just they don't want to hear so much talking so many you got to do this or did you do this yet the whining the nagging so they're staying up all night to get that quiet time that alone time the solitude time time for them to think and sort out their own thoughts and um and that's causing the you know not only binging but the sleeping in I'm just finding this the shift in cycle. I'm like, wow, that's what they're thinking. And I finally I felt that was a golden nugget lately. That was the thought.
1: You've you've got us one golden nugget, and I'm going to throw another one in. And sure. I'm 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 taking the the trust of the audience because I know I have this wonderful audience that listens. But I'm also at an age where, thankfully, I have really great open communication with my daughter. Mm. But who is also uh, very honest. She like she's honest to a fault, and so I can say like, who do you have on? And with and with Snapchat, we were talking Instagram earlier. Snapchat's a whole different beast. Yeah. And I guess she's at an age too where. The boys, and I'm so sorry for mothers who have like 14 to whatever age boys, but like they're horny and they're uh they're starting with the whole, do you send pictures? And they're starting with the sexting. And it's like, how do you how do you I mean I've had these honest discussions with Andy about it, but she'll say to me, This boy just asked for something, and she goes, I like I blocked them or whatever, but this is realistic things that are happening and you're talking about true. what's happening late at night. These are things that are coming in off of, you know, their devices and that social media that people might not really be expecting. And these are like really good kids and I know their moms and I'm like, you have no idea what your son asked my daughter for last night, you know, and, and, I guess, is it just accepting that that's the way that they have this communication or that that's fulfilling their needs, especially since they're not seeing each other at school and in the yards and are able to do things?
0: Yeah, I don't think we should be accepting, but I think that we have to understand that her world on Snapchat and texting becomes more and more private as she gets older. So we can still have conversations, but I think they um, they need to be more about her her boundaries, like those personal boundaries that we now don't really have as much say in. So what is she comfortable texting and posting? What does she want to share or not share? So I think these are the kinds of conversations that we need to be having often so that she is aware. So when a boy asks for something and she doesn't want to and she feels that pressure, can she set the boundary? Can we even practice that beforehand because I think it's a huge problem. And I think girls naturally just want to please. So they're sending things that they are actually not comfortable sending.
1: So it's having that open dialogue and, and being grateful for it that I, that I can have that. But also yeah. for those that have the sons who are requesting it. Mm-hmm. Um, and is there, what's the dialogue like on that side? Yeah, I think it's it's no different. It's It's about
0: maybe not maybe for girls it's about setting the boundaries and keeping the boundaries but i think as with the boys it's respecting the boundaries so having conversations again preventatively is always ideal but when you you know not denying that they they might send this request or they might want to to let's say flirt online with girls um, can they can they respect the boundary that the no or the discomfort and and I think that those convers—I don't think those conversations are happening often enough. But you know, <laughs> girls request pictures too. Girls like I don't want to have just the great divide. Boys are asking, and girls have the pressure of yes, yes or no. I'm I'm going to send it to you. I think sometimes it it's the opposite too. That girls are making requests, and boys are not necessarily comfort comfortable with their requests.
1: Is this just something that's a natural, the new normal, the new natural puberty? progression i mean we didn't well, yeah, have it i we think younger, sexual interest you know it is
0: yeah yeah there's just a new platform right and i think it's also some peer pressure because it's like like anything if you know all the other guys are doing it you're much more likely to do it too or all the other girls are doing it you're more likely to to start thinking about sending sex messages so this is t-
1: this is here to stay I what don't I'm
0: going anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. I'd love to tell you this is just a phase, but I don't think it is. I think, if anything, there's going to just be more platforms.
1: More platforms, more instant messages that disappear, more uh, ability. I think, Mike, what happens, though, is that it sets in at this age, and then it it stays with you into the older teens and into young adulthood. That's and true. And, it's, and you know, and then from there, it goes into the, you know, the Tinder and the easier hookups. And I just don't know if it's becoming so easy and so accessible that we've lost the meaning of it or the intimacy of it or it being special. Does that make any sense? Yeah. And I think maybe the bigger question, Leanne, is just about virtual connection.
0: So it's like what's, I mean, now the, the the boundaries are blurred for me. It used to be I didn't want to do Zoom calls. I always wanted to do in person. But now the Zoom calls feeling like it's almost real. And it's like, oh, wow, but what's what's actually happening in our bodies? Like, does it does that actually, you know, release the same amount of dopamine or oxytocin? Does that feel the same? Like, I'm not really sure. I think we're all in this new era of virtual real virtual well, virtual is kind of close enough so but I think that's the bigger conversation is the types of con- um, connections and is this almost like superficial connection the hookup is that good enough is that what we really want is that making us feel happy and healthy and and whole and satisfied I'm not sure
1: you know, and I look at how some of these things happen. I mean, we're, we're shifting, uh, we're changing the way we're socializing, we're either becoming more introverted, or we might be becoming extroverted in different ways on, on mm-hmm. social media. And all of this leads to how we're handling how our mental health is. And I know there's mm-hmm. so much dialogue and discussion amongst adults. And mm-hmm. yet, our children are, are are dealing with so many of the same things, if not even more so because they're just, they're not as educated or understanding of everything that's happening. So how are we seeing or how do we protect their own mental health?
0: Well, I think mental health is, um, it, it can really be gauged with the conversations that we're trying to have. And just, I ask really openly, what are you thinking or is there anything that you're afraid of or worried about? And so often they have such a um, like either extreme thinking, like it's really black and white, like everything is bad or everything is good, or there's just so much area of gray where their interpretations are skewed negatively. Like the brain is naturally negative. It's always going to look for the criticism or the fear, the worry, because it needs to protect itself. And that's That's just what our brain does. It's evolutionary. But I think in the conversations, I hear how they're interpreting. I hear their perception. And then you can play around with it. So a good example is um, when I run into a lot with girls is they might send a text message and they don't hear back from someone. And then that girl will assume the black and white thinker is she's mad at me. Or I did something. And again, I bring in the question of what else could it mean? There's so many interpretations with that one experience. It's not all bad. It could mean that she's busy or she's taking time to text back or she just didn't see it. She just didn't look at her phone. Lots of times their phones die. But I think that mental health is all about the quality of thoughts. But knowing where your brain goes so negative or so extreme um, is super helpful. And then we just work on the reframing. So reframing that negative thought or that entrenched thought that's maybe even self-deprecating, and asking the what else and trying to come up with a more positive thought. So, I think with what's happening in um, with COVID, I think a lot of a lot of the students I worked with saw only the bad in it. Right? It's it's a loss. It's um it's devastating. They're not allowed to do anything. But then the conversation started to shift about. You know I think they started to feel a little bit different, and we could see some of the the silver linings we were calling them. Well, what's good about this time? because there's always that balance. and they were able to start to see it differently. Their conversation changed, their mood changed, I think, um a lot of reframing.
1: Hmm. even more so, or not more so, but what would you say for those that are not quite yet of full? self-expression you know a little bit of the younger kids like what are their biggest fears right now you know as as preteens and teens we're able to have that dialogue but there are a lot of parents out there who are dealing with younger kids who might be um showing different signs of fear or anxiety coming out uh in tantrums in blowouts mm-hmm. like how is it being expressed
0: Yeah, so either they will express it, like you said, with the tantrums, the blowouts, or they'll go into the shutdown response, unfortunately. So then you don't get much of anything. You just think, oh, they're being quiet or they're keeping to themselves. But I think with the little kids, what we have to know is they feel our anxiety and stress. So again, it's all about finding our own calm, trying to be as positive as we can, because they they consume it without even realizing that that's what's happening. And it's affecting them, I think, deeper than we know. Um, and for those that can't express, I think I'm a big believer in, in play and like creative expression. So getting them to draw, getting them to, you know, play with dolls, they might be able to like, to almost talk out what's happening with themselves through through the toys, right? Um, just getting outside, moving their bodies, checking in in simpler ways. Like, how are you feeling? I have a feelings poster, and I just get them to pet, You know, is it happy or frustrated? And we have really good conversations about what all the different feelings mean and validating them all. They're all they're all normal and healthy and good. And talking about the fact that feeling frustrated is how they're feeling in the moment. It doesn't last forever though. You talk about it, you work through it, you jump on the trampoline, play with the dot, get it out, right? And that's that's processing their feelings in the way that they can.
1: There's also parents that are exhausted mm-hmm. and tired and and educators that, you know, have been trying to teach and, and, you know, having parents' emails and I don't know how to do this and can you explain it? Like, people are tired can we mm-hmm. are there ways around sometimes going okay point to the calendar and let me know how you're feeling like like how do we in our own frustration anxiety exhaustion mm-hmm. cope with it to so that we're not coming across like they're in, it's insignificant we don't care but we're having mm-hmm. our own sometimes daily battles also
0: yeah i've been uh, hearing a lot about Um, what's it called compassion fatigue or care fatigue so (laughs) we're caring for everyone else we're trying to hold it all together and you're right we're tired it's getting a little bit harder Um, I think first and foremost we want to make sure we're able as we can to, to take care of ourselves we all need help like no parent is supposed to be doing it all it's not the time to wear the cape and be superwoman or or superman but I think that we need to get help in the way that that Feels good to us, or is um, is realistic for us? So we're getting support. I think lots of times, just that reprieve, right? Having someone come over and take care of the kids, or having um, having something that they can do outside, semi independently, so we can we can have a little me time. I think that's more important now than ever before. But I think you're right. Sometimes we don't want to have these conversations. They're tiring too, and I think that we undervalue presence. Just oh, being there, yeah. just being, you know, watching a movie and just being there. They feel that. And there's been actually quite a few shifts from my perspective with um, the increase in family time and closeness. And that's building a lot more positive mental health and security and good feelings. And sometimes it's okay not to talk. You don't always have to talk. So just being there, just, you know, side by side, working on something, doing a puzzle, um, eating in silence, that's okay they feel that when we can be there in like mind body and and spirit and we can just be like in the moment and have that mindfulness that's more than enough
1: sometimes I think we appreciate that uh, and I know a lot of families the devices go away uh, family mm-hmm. time and sometimes it is it's just being present and being that's in right. that moment. For you, if I can take you back to the books, because I want to be able to hit on that and and why you did it. What was the most important factor in starting with one book and then moving to the next? What did you want to accomplish? And what were you hoping? Was it for parents? For educators? Was it get? Was it for the young girls to read? Who did you see this as your audience?
0: Oh my gosh, that's such a great question. Okay, I'll do I'll do the first book, okay. "Growing Strong Girls." Um, I think I was on a personal mission or or passion, I guess, to really figure out what it means to be strong. So personally, I didn't feel so strong. You know, on paper, I might look like an accomplished person, but I still didn't feel it. There's such a disconnect. And I kept thinking about it. And I had a counselor and a therapist, and I was having conversations. And I thought, you know what? Maybe it comes down to practice. So like anything, it's a skill. Like what if I practice being strong every single day? Take a risk, take a chance, do something new And yeah, it's uncomfortable and scary, but I started to actually practice it and I started to feel better and I started to feel more confident. And it's like something in my brain just switched. It's like, that's it. You practice. You need to grow into strong. You need to work at it. And then, of course, everything I do, this is professional hazard, I guess. It becomes, oh, now I can help. I can help the parents and educators and counselors is really who the book was for so that they can then grow a strong girl. But I have had many girls read the book and said they gained a lot from it too, but it just became about exploring strong in a variety of conversations and activities. And I just wanted to make it super practical. So,
1: so can you give us some examples? Like what was it for your own journey that you went from feeling weaker to Practicing so becoming a great stronger. E- Yeah,
0: a great example for me was just using my voice, whether I was saying, you know, that hurts my feelings, I don't feel good, or you know what, I need some alone time, or I need some help, or <laughs> for me, I need a discount, I ask all the time, could I get 10% off, they <laughs> start to negotiate, but it was using my voice, because so, so much of my childhood, I was just silent, I was so good, and so trying to be perfect. I didn't have a voice at all. So just really speaking up and encouraging girls to do the same. I want to hear their feelings. I want to hear their opinions. I want to hear when they don't agree with me, when they're uncomfortable, when they're sad, everything. It was really about voice and how powerful that can be.
1: A lot of them, though have that voice they as parents we think like we've 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 raised strong girls so how do we go through and as you mentioned it right at the top of the podcast the transition from making sure as they're moving from from kid to young adult that they don't lose that that we build on the you're strong you're capable you're confident that we don't lose that because that's right there is like the trickiest of times I feel
0: yeah, I think the biggest one I noticed with voice as they grow and they tend to withdraw and hold back and become much more um, uncertain, less confident, is in the social the social circles. So they might have a voice and say, no, I don't want to do that, or I don't agree, or actually, I like this instead. And when they are they experience a shutdown or, or someone saying, we don't care, or um, if you don't, do this activity then you're going to have to find new friends then it becomes about survival and girls will almost always choose survival fitting into a group with their compromised voice and feelings and and opinions than to stand and say no actually i i don't agree or i'm going to go do something else it's incredibly hard for them because of that social pressure so it's a tough conversation when i have to say to girls you know Who matters more, you or these friends? And so the alternative is being alone. But I'm trying to help girls see that that is better. Because when you're alone and you have, you know, you stay true to you, you're going to actually naturally attract people who want to be part of that. But I think it's incredible pressure. And, you know, it's easier to just fit in. It's easier not to work through a fight or conflict Um, But it's not necessarily better and that's where girls, they lose their confidence.
1: Uh, one of the things statistically that we see more so with girls than we do with boys is is the body image. And so mm-hmm. I'm thinking now with kids at home, we're able to monitor a little bit more what they're eating, what they're mm-hmm. taking in, um, how much they're burning of it off. But mm-hmm. when you talk about fitting in, a lot of that comes down to body image in girls and uh, weight issues um, or eating disorders. Uh, this is something that I know you talk about also in the book. How mm-hmm. important was it for you to face that and bring that into the reality? Because it's so much a part of that aspect of growing up
0: I think it's huge because I think it's so interconnected with how they feel about themselves and then the kinds of relationships that they that they build and so I think for me it was it was always something to focus on but I don't think it was the real thing right so it was was about digging a little bit deeper that yeah we want to take care of our bodies and we want to feel good and look good and we're you know constantly finding that balance but I think deeper than that it felt like it was more about like my self-esteem like how do I really feel about myself and is there I I think in the book I say like beyond body beyond appearance like what else because if you have balance and you have all these other things to to focus on other interests and things that make you happy it's not all about your body but it's like as you become less happy, it becomes more about your body. So I think with girls, the conversations that we can have, are, yes, um, I call it the three F's in the book, like focus on food, fueling your body, fitness, and fun. Like it doesn't have to be all serious and it's, life isn't supposed to be as stressful as as we make it, but it, it's the what else, like what else makes you happy? What is making you sparkle? And I think then girls are a little bit less, I'm going to say body haters, body shamers, because there's so much more going on. And this probably goes back to the screen, right? So the less time they're on their screen, the, the less they're seeing unhealthy body images or um, unhealthy standards, I'll say unrealistic standards of beauty, I think the more happier they are. So at the end of the day, it comes down to that happiness
1: how do you then do the motivation <clears throat> part? We were talking, um, a lot of kids are have lost their, even if it's down to what they're passionate about. So much, I think, of what you try to do is find something that they're passionate about, find something that they can, in, like, indulge in or, mm-hmm. you know, put their focus on. And a lot of those activities have been taken away. I mean, mm-hmm. granted, if you're playing the piano or the violin, I mean, you're still practicing just as much at home, maybe not even more. But mm-hmm. kids who are active and in sports and used to, um, you know, Having the social action of teammates and the physical outlet and they've lost that, how do you, what should you be doing to help retain that or keep them motivated?
0: Yeah, it's really hard. We're trying to keep that too, right? How do, you know, yeah. if it's feeling kind of boring and same old. I think the the shift in the season is going to help. So, from spring to summer, there's always a little bit more more to do outside, for sure. Um, a different energy. And I know we have the fall kind of pending, so it's like, we don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but we know it's going to be different and sometimes fall can, can bring good energy, too. But in terms of self-motivation, I know I work with a lot of girls that were competitive in, in swimming and, and all their, their sports, and now that's gone. So, I think it goes back to your earlier point what's the point we're not competing and that was so exciting and exhilarating then what and I think we're gonna have to dig really deep here because I see we're hitting this challenge and I think it then becomes about personal goals so you you might not have people to compete with or you might have less to do now but I think we need to bring it back to what else can you do can we find some new passions or adventures but maybe focusing on how do you set your own personal goals, like your own, like being competitive with yourself. And I've been having more conversations lately with with um, kids about bigger picture. So can we flash forward to next summer where you want to be competitive still? So you're going to have to work pretty hard this summer to prepare for that. So they're not necessarily focus just on this summer, but it's that longer range view. You still want to grow your your body and your skills and, and your competitive edge, let's say.
1: There are people that are like, say, um, young adults who mm-hmm. might have been going from high school into university where sports is part of it as sports is for many people, a big part of their identity. So, Mm -hmm. you know, they were the football player, they were the soccer player that, you know, that there's Mm -hmm. an identity associated with it. So with that being taken away, Mm -hmm. you know, there's new shifts like these things might not be coming back right away. Like I I just, I find it so hard. Yeah. That, they're, that they lose a sense of self.
0: But it's not, I mean, they might not be able to play, you know, be the football, the football star player on a team. But I think they can still play football or they can still go to the gym. They can still work out. Like, I think we're just having, we're all having to adapt to new and creative ways. But I would say to then say, oh, I'm not an athlete at all. That's actually not accurate. Like, so... You're right. And maybe this is a conversation and over identifying with any one part of ourselves. But I think we can we can try to shift to it's an opportunity to learn another sport or modify the sport or see it differently or see yourself beyond your athletic self because there could be an artistic self inside or a more social self than they knew. But I think that we're not we're not being stopped from developing. We're having to shift to new ways to develop and grow.
1: So on that on that point, Mm -hmm. how would you suggest parents educators accept that they might lose a certain sense of identity identity with one thing and be able to push or inspire them to think outside the box? Maybe,
0: yeah, not just for kids.
1: I think it's just for this applies to everybody. I think at this point,
0: yeah, and I think maybe the emphasis being on not you're losing an identity, it's you're also gaining this opportunity to. To cultivate new identities. And, you know, it's not a bad lesson for us. Like, we do hyper-focus on certain parts of ourselves. And now we have this chance to, I, I call it the expanded self. So it's like, well, what else can I do? Where else can I grow? What am I going to learn? How how can I use this time as a chance to become because as the world shifts, I think we are starting to see new possibilities that we never, I never would have considered, I just started a shop online and I wouldn't have considered that because I didn't have time to create it. And And now it's been such a source of joy. It's like, oh, this is a new part of my business, a new part of myself. But I think we're learning that we actually are expanding and that's a really positive, um, a really positive movement. So back to your question about parents, I think it's, it's asking those questions, like the the what else or what's next or let's expand who you are and, and try to maybe spend some time exploring. I do a lot of work with kids and we just start with literally a mind map, which is a brainstorm on a page. And we what write down... That? A mind map is yeah. a, a visual organizer. So you would literally have one piece of page, grab some colors, you put an idea in the middle. In this in this example, it could be my expanded self or the new me or <laughs> whoever it is, 2.0 or whatever you want to call it, and you write down all the ideas that come to mind that might be worth exploring. So, if football was, the, you know, your sport, maybe write down some other sports and then you go around and you start thinking about, okay, well, if you were to pick up basketball or maybe it's not a sport at all, let's say you want to learn an instrument, let's write down all the instruments that are real possibilities. So, it's being able to see it and I think there's such a, a powerful um it's so powerful to see ideas. So often we don't necessarily process all words, but when we're seeing it on a page, I think it creates a heck of a lot of excitement, enthusiasm, positive energy. Like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm losing this, or I, I can't do this, and that's a disappointing. And we have to have a conversation about those feelings. But look what else. Like, look, like how excited can someone get about something new? And the answers vary. But it goes from conversation to the power of the tool and then to actually do it, to buy mm-hmm. the supplies or to find to find the coach or um, the tutor or whatever it is. It becomes this, um, this project, if you will. And I think there's a lot of energy and mo- momentum that can be created from that.
1: I love that. And I think, honestly, yeah. that answer really applies to every single one of us right now yeah, who is true. having that's to shift, true. you know, anything that's, that's been going on. I'm looking through, as we were talking, uh, chapters of the book, right? And so there's so much in there between the rooted, the resilient, and the ready. Um, and there's, there's a lot of different topics in there. And, you know, where for you is the most is there one that's like most important it's like you have appearances you have healthy minds you have a girl on her oh, phone wow. <laughs> you have pressure from peers. so there's a whole thing in there about friendships and well yeah. like there's tons let's talk about sex um you know and I know that in part of a lot of the bios that I read on you a uh, social impact social change is mm-hmm. is a, is a mm-hmm. big part too yeah for all of um, us also to go back to your question about why
0: where did the inspiration yeah. come for book 2? I think it it was really natural. Like these little girls are now getting older, and they need to be even stronger, even more confident. And so we or I came up with rooted, resilient and ready, but it also just came out of all these conversations I was having with the girls and parents and just I knew I had another book in me. So it's like I felt this, let's say, social responsibility to to keep going with the girls as they grew. But I think I just can't help myself. Like, the more I learn, it's like, oh, wow, this is good stuff. <laughs> this sounds like a book to me. And it just became that passion to, to keep writing, to keep at it, to keep helping. Um,
1: you're asking me to pick? Oh, my gosh. No, well, uh, you, like, I know because it does, right? You go from the growing strong girls. You're right. And yeah. it was almost like a progression into… Right you know, getting them ready for adulthood. It, you you go okay. through everything. Yeah. I'm,
0: I'm not going to say this is my favorite because I do like them all for different reasons, but I do feel um maybe most proud of chapter eight, which is on the future because I hadn't read a lot about talking about or taking action steps for, um, for the future for for getting girls ready and the girls I was talking to were more scared about the future not excited so I think I was just really happy to contribute something that I hadn't read a lot about I hadn't done that I didn't find there's a lot of research on the future and just to I guess that idea of just wanting in such a positive way I wanted it to become let's get excited about the future not panic-stricken Let's well, like pump these girls up and do what we can to prepare them. And I thought that was the ready part. And right. I was really happy with that.
1: I got to say that's, that's pretty scary and frightening that you mm-hmm. found that more of them were not excited about the possibilities, but there, it was more fear-based. Like 99%. You know, like that's crazy. Yeah. yeah, it was. So it was it was a stat or it was a realization from discussions that surprised you most? Uh, just both. And it, I thought, oh, was I that scared? <laughs> like, has the world shifted that much? Um, is it expectations that they're scared of not meeting up to the standard that people... is? It, it, does it come down to fear of not meeting expectations?
0: Yeah, there's actually a lot, If if I can unpack it. So it was the fear of disappointing people like family and friends. I won't be good enough. You're right. It was their own disappointment. Like what if I don't meet my own standards? So the, the pressure for, for themselves to achieve and accomplish. I think they're seeing a lot of women on the rise right now. So the, the order is tall. I think there's a pressure there. And I think for a lot of them, it was, I don't know what I want to do. Like I have no idea. And, Oh, I want to keep my lifestyle because it's pretty good here with mom and dad. And they didn't, they were actually genuinely worried about money, not being able to make
1: enough to keep up with their life. So I think there was a lot to it. Is it fair to say that our kids are much more spoiled than they might've been three decades ago? A 100%. Right. They've got their phone, like, and there's a lot there that we didn't have. And we had to go play at the park until the lights come on and then you come home Mm -hmm. and we can't do that now, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, I think um, they definitely have a life of abundance. Uh, Not all of them, of course, but I Mm -hmm. think a lot of them. um, And I think it's great. They have a lot and they're they're at an advantage in lots of ways. But I think it's not great if it becomes entitlement. Like, of course, I have this. And it's like, sometimes I worry about their hustle. So I was so motivated to work, to make money, because I didn't have a lot. And it was so exciting. and I think, oh if you if you have everything from the start, how do you get motivated to, like to hustle? so
1: it's it's interesting, interesting times. I have uh, really good friends who are are, you know who could provide everything that they their kids ever could possibly want. And they're very um, they're very in tune with the fact that they don't want that opportunity for their kids because it's almost like a then what? What do they have to look forward to? If they have a fancy car now, then what? What do they strive for? You know, and it's almost like putting, it's having to put our own limitations on them to allow our children to look forward to earning things themselves or experiencing things themselves. You know, it was like, why would our children travel first class? You know, we can. but why, why don't why aren't we giving them something to strive for that they can build it and earn that themselves? You know, like it's it's we we fall into that trap to how much do we provide and how much do we allow them to earn for themselves and experience it from their own value and hard work? I love that they have that awareness, though, right? Oh, they you know this family's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> maybe sometimes they won't hit it.
0: And it's hard. Like do you have a lot? You want to give a lot? Like I would want to provide everything for my kids. But the downside is that, they, yeah, too much too soon, they Mm -hmm. might become, this is just the way things are. And I don't know, I just, all I can think about is the joy that I felt with the hustle, the working hard, the having a goal. You know, I worked all summer picking berries so I could buy new clothes for school. And that was
1: exciting. So let me say that right now, Lindsay, because Usually, and let's just like hit on this for the last point, is usually the summer would be about summer experiences, having Mm -hmm. freedom, uh, being able to get out and, and, and enjoy summer, have summer jobs, have summer romances. All of those things have been taken away. For a lot of kids, there's no summer jobs. There's no social interaction. So how do we allow them to experience something and find joy in a time that's going to be very difficult? And I'll, I'll kind of wrap it up with that because that's where we are. That's where we sit right now.
0: All I keep thinking about is one word, and that's different. It's not necessarily better or worse. It's just different. So, okay, maybe they can't get the summer job that they wanted, but there is work available. I have a lot of these super um, entrepreneurial students or creative students, and they're saying, okay, my job at the restaurant, well, that didn't happen. But you know, the grocery stores, they're hiring more people because they need, they need to accommodate for increased shopping and purchases. So they've just seen it as a change. It's just different. Not what I expected, but still a job. I'm still working. So maybe kids can't go to the beach and play with or um, hang out with all of their friends But they could still go to the beach and maybe hang out with two friends. Like, I think we're just having to see it as different and accommodate. But I don't, it's not none. It's not all of it has been taken away. It's just change. It's just different. So getting them, I think, now to start seeing it as such, like, well, it's still positive. Let's just make those accommodations. Let's be flexible. It's, it's like cognitive flexibility. They have to change what they thought in their mind. But once they start to do it, they start to open up to healthier thoughts, bigger thoughts, more expansive thoughts. They get more used to it. And I think that that's a healthy place for them to be. Life doesn't go as planned. How many times have we had a plan and it doesn't work so we have to shift. But it might be even better.
1: We don't know. Well, this will be something we're going to look back on a a couple years from now. I can't wait for all of the studies (laughs) 20 years from now, the (laughs) the post-COVID studies on how the world shifted and the new normal. Um, So the two books that we have right now, Growing Strong Girls, Practical Tools to Cultivate Connection in the Preteen Years. And then the second book, which followed that, was Rooted, Resilient, and Ready, Empowering Teen Girls as They Grow. Uh, You have the Bold New Girls, Brave New Boys. And so I know a lot of this you know, we were talking girls and and stuff, but it's really the same life lessons. It's, it's so similar when it it comes to the boys, the dialogue, the discussions, the wording, it's the same. It's true. People can find you because I know you were speaking and and talking. Is it uh, you finding more outreach right now from the educators, uh, the school systems, the parents, like, where do you see for you now the next couple of months going? I think it's, it's really
0: a little bit of, of everyone. I think right now, not so much from schools as they, they're they sorting out what the fall looks like. Definitely um, an increase in hearing from parents, especially for summer support. Like, do we keep learning or do we give them a break? I mean, they've had a break. So <laughs> I think they're just wondering what to do and maybe for some do you say to additional that? tools. Um, I'm always a believer to keep learning going because I see learning as um, lifelong so, maybe you're not learning, you know, grade nine math, but you can still be learning. Like, I see it as being an eternal learner. It, there's no stop and start for me. Uh, do they need a break? I think every, we need breaks and time to play, but I think we can also find balance and be learning and growing and reading and and growing our brains continuously. So,
1: so it doesn't necessarily need to be uh, an online, you know, a summer school, but maybe a course or something oh gosh, online or no. something different that is just... <laughs> Keeping the the learning process going.
0: Yeah, maybe it's an opportunity to think outside of the school box. So just follow their interests.
1: But I think that, yeah, keep learning going. It's learning for life really interesting okay so uh i'm so glad we were able to connect and uh i will put all of the the links so that people can find uh both of the books that are um that are ready to go and they can learn more about the uh the bold new girls and the programs that you have but really interesting and so i appreciate this as i'm sitting in my daughter's bedroom and i can see all of her you know her makeup and her pictures (laughs) I'm going, Next. I think we're doing okay. I just, you know, it's it's understanding that it, it's just different. And maybe looking different. back years from now, it, it might not have actually been that bad. There's some true blessings that are coming out of this time. I really appreciate your time, Lindsay. And for those that are listening, this is another wrap on Living Your Life with Leanne Lang. Appreciate it. As always, love that you are liking and sharing and letting people know about the podcast. It's wonderful to be able to see it grow. Uh, and even, you know, we've got guests coming from different <laughs> Continents, we got oceans, and across our country. Lindsay joining us today from Vancouver. Lindsay, thanks again. Thanks so much. Thanks, Leanne. What happens when we play outside? We become
0: healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's Take This Outside, a new podcast hosted by me, Mary Ann Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's take this outside. Available on Apple
1: Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts and at ivisonvoice.com slash podcast.